Welcome to Folk Liar. I'm the Chief Liar, Brian. I'm going to tell you a lie, but I'm also going to tell you two pieces of authentic folklore. If you can figure out which of the three stories is a lie, you could win a luxurious mug. All the details are real, except for the story I made up. And if you know your folklore, you should be able to spot the fake. I've rewritten all the stories in my own style, so whether you are a folklore expert or not, you can still have fun listening and take a guess anyway. I'll tell you how you can enter and win at the end of the show. In the previous episode, I told you three very spooky, very scary ghost stories. All of them were absolutely true as true could be when dealing with ghost stories. Well, not really. One of them was clearly and obviously made up by me. You heard one of the first ghost stories ever written down by Pliny the Younger in Pliny's Ghost, got acquainted with the Japanese ghost Hanako of the Toilet, and ran up against the shade of Lincoln in Lincoln Meets Himself. In sharp contrast to the previous episode, where almost everyone guessed the lie correctly, it looked like I was going to get away with absolutely no one guessing correctly this time. Seriously, it was right down to the wire on Monday evening, and no one had picked the right story. No one, that is, until Michael F. popped up and declared Lincoln meets himself to be the false fable. And you know what? He was right. Congratulations to Michael F., winner of the luxurious mug. Well done, Michael. And thank you to everyone who entered. It's interesting to see how many of you were absolutely sure you'd heard that story before. The folklore of Russia has historical influences ranging from Finnish tales gradually incorporated into the local folklore of the Russian North, to deliberate Soviet-era efforts to limit the reach, scope, and content of acceptable folk tales, traditional or not, so that they did not encourage capitalist tendencies and unwanted ideology. What follows is by no means a complete look at the available offerings, but they do contain a small sample of general trends. There is usually a strong element of humor and an admonishment against some form of greed or pride. And generally, that remains true regardless of when they originated and who was in power at the time. Our first story comes from the people of the Kamchatka Peninsula in the far east of Russia, noted for the abundance and variety of its wildlife, and the number and size of its brown bears. In a certain kingdom, in a certain land, there lived a bear. It was but a little bear, still young and inexperienced. All the bears in the kingdom would get together once a year and discuss the affairs of bears within the kingdom. And each year, the little bear would meet all its aunts and uncles and cousins and nephews and sisters and brothers and every other bear there was. And he would hear how each bear was doing and what their prospects were for the next year. And in this way, the business of bears was conducted. However, at the end of each meeting, there would be a long pause. When little bear asked about the long pause, he was told it was for all the bears who didn't make it to the meeting that year and wouldn't be coming ever again. But why won't they come to the meeting again? He asked one of his many cousins. Because they grew up to be big, strong bears and then went away. The people came and saluted them for being so big and strong, and then gave them a log ride, and they had so much fun, they never came back. Cousin Bear didn't mean any of it, but didn't want to tell Little Bear the truth, 
that men hunted bears and killed them, and that was why they never came back. Cousin Bear was afraid Little Bear would be upset and so lied, but only out of kindness. But Little Bear didn't know any better, and was a bit foolish anyway, and so believed Cousin Bear. From that day forward, he resolved to be the biggest and strongest bear there ever was, and so go to the place where there was so much fun he wouldn't want to come back. For the next year, Little Bear busied himself eating everything he could and getting as strong as he could by climbing every tree and pushing every log, and he took care to let his claws grow long and his teeth sharp so that there could be no doubt. And when the yearly bear meeting came around again, he compared himself to all the other bears, but found there were bears bigger and stronger than him yet, and so went to work for the next year, trying to be the biggest and strongest bear there ever was. And so it went for many years. He ate everything he could find. In fact, he ate so much that the other bears had trouble feeding themselves, and as Little Bear got bigger and bigger, they got smaller and smaller. Until finally, one year, Little Bear was the biggest and strongest of all the bears in the kingdom. He just knew he was going to be picked to go to the place where bears had so much fun they didn't want to come back. Cousin Bear had been picked the year before, and Little Bear couldn't wait to see him again and show off how much bigger he was. Little Bear was so excited, he went straight down to the town to show himself to the men there. And you can guess what happened. That's right, Little Bear was the biggest bear any of them had ever seen, and that winter, all the villagers had brand new bearskin hats. There's only so much you can do when a man won't pay his debts. As this story illustrates, loaning money can be problematic, but you do the best you can. Once upon a time in St. Petersburg, there was a successful and wealthy merchant named Marka. He made his fortune by relentless scrimping and saving, by paying as little for his goods as he could and selling them for as much as he might. He was wealthy, yes, but was known throughout the city as the stingiest man there ever was. One day, Marka the Wealthy went for a walk, and on his way, he saw an old beggar asking for alms. For Christ's sake, pious men, give me something. Which is not a brilliant strategy for awakening people's generosity, but I expect the beggar knew his business well enough. Still, Marka passed him by, perhaps because he was not so pious as all that. But a poor peasant who came after him felt pity for the beggar and gave him a kopeck, which, to the peasant, was a tenth part of all his wealth in the world. Marka the wealthy felt ashamed, stopped, and said to the peasant, Listen, fellow countryman, lend me a kopeck. I want to give something to the beggar, but I have no small coins. And even though a kopeck was less than a millionth part of all Marka's considerable wealth, the peasant gave him a kopeck and asked, When shall I come to collect my loan? Come tomorrow, said Marka. The next day, the poor man went to the rich man for his kopeck. He entered the broad courtyard of Marka's house and asked one of his many servants, Is Marka the wealthy at home? He is. What do you want? asked the servant. I have come for my kopeck. 
And so the servant led him through the courtyard and into the large house, up a flight of marble stairs, down a long hallway covered in paintings and tapestries, and at last into a room covered in silks and velvet and gold, where Marka the wealthy sat enjoying second helpings of his morning meal. When the peasant asked Marka for his kopeck, Marka replied, Ah, brother, come some other time. I have no small coins now. The poor man bowed low and said, I will come tomorrow. The following day he came and again was told, I have no small coins, but if you have change for a hundred rubles, you can get your kopeck. If not, come in two weeks. As the peasant did not have such change and had no hope of ever having such change, he agreed to return in two weeks. Two weeks later, the poor man again went to the rich man, but Marka the wealthy, who had been anticipating the return of the peasant, said to his wife, Listen, wife, I will undress completely and lie under the saint's icons, and you cover me with a shroud and sit down there and lament me as though I were dead. When the peasant comes for his loan, tell him that I died today. The wife did as her husband ordered her. She sat down and shed burning tears. The peasant was led into the room, and Marka's wife asked, What is it? I have come to collect my loan from Marka the wealthy, answered the poor man. Ah, little peasant, Marka the wealthy wished you a long life. He has just died. May he go to the kingdom of heaven. Permit me, hostess, to do something for him for my kopeck. At least I can wash his sinful body. Saying this, he snatched a kettle of boiling water brought in for the day's tea and poured it over Marka the wealthy. Well, Marka could barely stand it. He gritted his teeth and jerked his feet. I don't care whether you jerk. Give me back my kopeck, said the poor man. But Marka made no reply. So the peasant washed Marka's body and prepared it for burial. Now, hostess, buy a coffin and have it taken to the church. I will read the Psalter over him. And thus did Marka the wealthy find himself put into a coffin and taken to the church, where the peasant began to read the Psalter over him. The peasant read until late into the night, hoping to outlast Marka, whom he was fairly sure wasn't actually dead anyway. But Marka remained still and barely breathed, so the peasant kept on reading. In the very dark of the night, when not a soul was stirring anywhere in St. Petersburg except thieves and villains, a church window opened, and thieves did indeed break in, having heard about the wealthy man laid to rest there. Frightened, the peasant hid behind the altar as the thieves began to divide the spoils among themselves. They shared everything until only a golden saber remained and each one wanted it for himself and refused to yield it to the others. Exasperated with the hours of bickering among the thieves, the peasant suddenly jumped out and cried, Why do you quarrel? Whoever cuts off the dead man's head shall have the saber. At this, Mark of the Wealthy jumped up beside himself with fear lest someone should take the peasant up on the idea. But so frightened were the thieves at the sudden resurrection of the dead man that they threw away their money and took to their heels. Relieved, Marka turned to the poor man and said, Now, little peasant, let us share the money. And so they shared it evenly, and both of them got a great deal. But what about my kopeck? said the poor man. Hey, brother, you can see for yourself. I have no small coins. And so Marka the Wealthy never returned the kopeck. Of course, even if you do strike it rich, 
There are any number of other problems that crop up. The greed of those around you, for instance. The king of a certain country lost his ring while on a drive through his capital. He at once placed a notice in the newspapers promising that whoever might find and return the ring would receive a large reward in money. A simple army private was lucky enough to find it. What shall I do, thought the soldier, if I report my find at regimental headquarters? The whole affair will be referred to my superiors, each in his turn, from the sergeant to the company commander, from the company commander to the battalion commander, from the battalion commander to the colonel, and from the colonel to the brigadier general. There will never be an end to it, and I will never see the reward myself. I would rather go straight to the king. So off he went to the palace, but when he arrived there, he was immediately stopped by the officer on guard and eyed suspiciously. What do you want here? asked the guard. I have found the king's ring, said the soldier. Oh, I see. Well, very well, brother. I will announce you, but only on condition that I get half the reward that the king gives you. The soldier thought to himself, well, this is just as I figured it would be. For once in my life, I have had a piece of good luck, and now it looks as if I will be forced to share it with this guard who has had no part in it except standing here at the door. However, he answered the officer on guard, Very well, I agree, but just to make it official, give me a note stating that half the reward is for you and half for me. That way, there can be no confusion between us. So the officer agreed, gave the private the note, and announced him to the king. The king praised the soldier for having found the ring. Thank you, brave soldier, he said. I shall give you 2,000 rubles as a reward. No, no, your majesty. That is not a soldier's reward. A soldier's reward is 200 lashes. That's all we ever get, the private said. What a fool you are, said the king, looking at the private as if he'd lost his mind. Nevertheless, the king ordered that the lashing sticks be brought in. The soldier began to undress. As he unbuttoned his tunic, the note fell from his pocket and dropped on the floor. What paper is that? asked the king. Your Majesty, I had momentarily forgotten. This is a note stating that only half the reward is for me. The other half must go to the officer on guard outside your palace. The king, realizing what had happened, laughed and called the officer on guard before him. Then the king ordered that the officer be given his half of the reward, 100 lashes, immediately, so as to settle accounts with the private in front of them all. The order was carried out, and when it was time to count the last ten lashes, the soldier drew near to the king and said, Your Majesty, since he is so greedy and I am so generous, I will give the other half of the reward to him as well. How kind you are, said the king, and ordered that the officer on guard be given the second hundred lashes. After this reward, the officer could hardly crawl home. As for the soldier, though, the king gave him an honorable discharge from the service and presented him with 3,000 rubles. And there's my trio of Russian tales for you to mull over. If you've learned anything about anything today, it's that greed is bad. But which admonishment is trying to make too much of itself? Is it the story of Little Big Bear? What about the miser's tale? And certainly you don't want to forget the just reward. 
one of these stories is false and two are true, but which is which? Just how bad do you want a luxurious mug? If you think you know, and even if you don't, send your guess to liar at folkliar.com. If you're correct, you'll be entered into a drawing for this episode's prize, a luxurious mug. Don't wait too long, though. You've only got five days from this episode's release date to enter. Be sure to include the episode title in the response so I know which show you're entering for. We can be found on the web at folkliar.com and on Twitter at folk underscore liar. Folkliar is supported by your generous contributions on Buy Me a Coffee. Head over to buymeacoffee.com slash fiddleback to join the likes of Chris and Bob G in supporting the show. They've got access to transcripts of all the shows and early releases of each episode. When you join, you can have that too. Just go to buymeacoffee.com slash fiddleback and become a member. And if you already are a member, thank you very much for making all this possible. Thanks for listening. Folklier is a production of Fiddleback Productions and is researched, written, and produced by Brian Casey. Music was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Our luxurious mug prize is awarded by random draw from among all correct entries. Entries are only accepted by email to liar at folkliar.com. Entries are due no later than five days after the episode is first published. One entry per person, please.